Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Lance Tyson, president and CEO Tyson Group. And if you want to build valuable relationships, you should be listening and build your network with my good friends, Travis Chappell and Eric Skorzynski. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. Thank you so much, Lance, for joining me on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to be on. I really am. Yeah, absolutely. So I was listening to your interview that you did with Travis at the end of last year. And one of the things you guys spent a lot of time talking about was, you know, playing the odds a little bit and and how you have to pivot when there's big changes that happen. And 2020 was marked with a lot of change. <laughs> there was a lot of pivoting that had to happen. And I'm kind of just curious, like, how has your business changed over the last few months since you were last on the show? How has COVID and all these different variables, obviously, even with sports teams and things like that, things have been up in the air. Like, how has that affected your business the last few months? You know, it's kind of interesting, right? I'm going to give a few examples. We were doing some consulting in the manufacturing space. We do a lot in sports from tech to manufacturing pharmaceuticals. And one, Wes one, was the name of one of the president of this manufacturing company. And he says to me in the call, kind of got a little shrap metal. He goes, look, if you're trying to sell me this hybrid selling model, we need our people to be face-to-face. Mm. 
I go, I understand. And he goes, it's not going to work with us not being face-to-face. I said, you know, Wes, that sounds great. I said, however, what if your customers and prospects don't want to meet with you face-to-face? What do you have to say to that? I said, because you may need them face-to-face, but they may literally not be face-to-face. And I think you're going to have to embrace a hybrid model and be agile. I interviewed on my podcast a um, the president uh, of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, Scott O'Neill. He's the president of the Sixer, Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils, very big firm. Scott just wrote a book, Be Where Your Feet Are. And he said, you know, Lance, I'm going to, he literally says this, he goes, I'm going to really think before I have to hop on a plane to LA when I can do a Zoom. And I think what has changed is yes, things are opening up. Like we're, I'm in Dallas next week with the Cowboys. They had a fight last weekend at AT&T Stadium that 70,000 people, Doug Dawson, their VP said, or executive VP said, I couldn't find a mask in the crowd, right? So play the odds. Like I think playing the odds is really being agile because in those three examples, you might have to be ready for any kind of scenario. So I think that's really, and I hate to use the cliche, but agile is going to be where it's at or this hybrid mode. But a lot of people we coach is, I don't think it's going to be the same. I think we are where we are. That's one question that's come up a lot is I've talked to a lot of people who are working with large organizations with a lot of brick and mortar locations and cubicles and and in-person meetings. And everyone keeps talking on the news about, hey, let's go back to normal, back to normal. And I think you just demonstrated it here is there's going to be a lot of people who are, especially the people paying the bills for these offices that are going, why aren't we working from home? Why aren't we doing this? So do you feel like we're going to go back to any sense of normal or do you think this is kind of uprooted kind of what normal will look like moving forward? You know, it's such an interesting question because I, I think, you know, we we do a lot of consulting. We, we call it the six, right? So sales leadership, sales management and sales leadership, you have culture. Sales management is kind of process. Then the sales process methodology enablement, which is technology like Zoom and sales talent. And when you take the sales leadership, which ends up being culture, and you take sales talent. I was coaching an exec recently down in Miami, and I, I said, well, he was in Miami, I wasn't, I was in Columbus, Ohio on Zoom. And he goes, you know, we really need people back in the office. I said, what if you have a high performer that's really low maintenance? And they say, look, I work better here. He goes, mm-hmm. well, culture-wise, we need him at the office. I said, is your cult- culture dictated by performance or attendance? He said, Lance, it's a really good point. I said, at, at the end of the day, Josh, and the guy's name is Josh, I said, I said, are you going to lead, are you going to manage by equal or fair? Because I'm not sure I understand. Equal is everybody has to be in the office. Manage people, managing or leading fairly or treating people fairly is based off performance. A first-line hockey player gets a hell of a lot more ice time than a third-liner does. But my expectation, the first-liner is higher. Right. So, because you know, I got to really think that. I said, you're going to have people on staff and your question about brick and mortar. I think there are a lot of organizations who are going to have to deal with, with this hybrid mentality. There are a lot. I, I, I know a top performing sales executive here in Columbus, Ohio, that decided to take a job in sales because he spent so much good time with his young family that he said, I, I don't want to give that up now. Yeah. Because you're going to ask me 40 times a year. He works for a hockey team here in Columbus, Ohio. He goes, you're going to ask me to come back 40 nights a year and I can't give this up. So I, I think there could have been flexibility somewhere there. Yeah, right, right. Why do you why do you think there's a resistance? Because I always look, I mean, I kind of jumped right out of high school into 
the entrepreneurial kind of world. Like I, I spent two years really working in a cubicle, you know, and that was pretty much it. But I see these big organizations. And even when I was working at that job, I looked around and looked at the leadership and I saw this resistance to doing that, this resistance to, hey, if someone, because my mentality is if someone's performing well, it doesn't matter how long they're in the office. If they're there four hours a week and they knock out everything and they're blowing it up and they're making sales, that's great. It, being there another 38 or 32 hours is not going to, is not going to change that. But then you see when you, when you go to these meetings, you see this resistance to like, okay, they need to be in the office. It needs to be a nine to five. They need to, you know, no overtime, you know, they don't get to extra vacation days. They don't get this. Why do you think there's a resistance from these large organizations to be flexible and change? Well, and I think it's a few things, right? And there is kind of a, a, a it, and we talk about it so much in this alignment. I think there's a collision of things. I think one with some leaders, there's an immaturity. If I can't see you, I can't trust you. And and that that is, it's kind of a leading by behind a little bit, right? That's where you're like pulling the horse's reins and you're pulling the horse. Yeah. You got to have a little trust if you as you hop on the horse because you can't see what the horse sees necessarily. It's a different vantage point. You got to trust. And it's a whole different thing if you're sitting on like a sulky, which is like a carriage with two wheels, right? That's a whole different trust. No. So I think it's, and it's an immaturity thing. I think two, it, it goes back to that treat fair, treat equal. Mm. Well, that person doesn't have to be in the office or I don't want to deal with the conundrum of, everybody not being in the office and somebody being different and somebody not knowing how to manage that. So I think that that's part of it. I think people also, because culture is such a big thing, I think a lot of leaders think culture is something on a wall or mm. a cube farm or a huddle. And, and culture is a value system more than anything. And, you know, you just want to make sure your cults, your culture is not a cult either. Mm, <laughs> right. No. So I, I think that, I think that's the issue, but, but if I were doing any kind of sales management training or leadership training, I think there's usually an accountability issue there at some level. I think you look at any company that runs flex hours really well, they treat it that flex hours is a benefit. It's not an entitlement so that f you earn those flex hours, you earn that flexibility. I think a lot of organizations though, and you just said it, are going to lose great talent because of the inability. I actually expect more from my people. I have people all over the country. My VP of sales is in Stockton, California. I just hired a new uh, director of business development in Phoenix. I have another director of business development that is in New Jersey. I expect more from my people that work out of their house. Hmm. Than anything else because they don't have the hour drive. They're not getting ready. They can get more done. Right. Yeah. No. But I'm not going to breathe over your shoulder. I'm not going to babysit you either. Right, right. How how do you calculate what success looks like when you're dealing with something like that? Because I, for most, it is. It's did you punch your time clock from this time to this time, and uh, how do you gauge success when you're dealing with someone who's working remote or when you're dealing with your you know VP in this state and then another person in this state? Like, how are you gauging what success looks like? Yeah, it's, that's such a great question, and and it's and it's it's sophisticated. At the end of the day, a lot of words that are thrown around like KPIs. So when you're holding people accountable or trying to dictate success, it, it's kind of think of it like a pyramid, right? So you have activity at the base of the pyramid, you have behaviors in the middle of the pyramid. That's the second third, and then you have outcomes. So what happens is a lot of people say success is activities, I can watch your activities, mm -hmm. right? 
And then some people say, well, there are things I got to observe a behavior. At the end of the day, if you can define outcome, so my, my VP of sales has, has a major goal of her job. Her major goal is to grow the company by X. There's two KPIs that become extremely important there. One KPI is, is the company's pipeline at all times 3X to goal. Mm. So that's one outcome base. The other one is actually the number closed deals. So I really don't worry about the behaviors and the activities if the outcomes are there. I only start worrying about behaviors and activities when the outcomes aren't there. And you got to kind of go, you got to descend down the triangle or the pyramid. And most people get it in reverse. Right, right. Because you can have that Simon Sinek, that that why, what, what, how, right? Most Mm -hmm. people focus on the how and the what as opposed to the why, right? So that's that. What's well, an incredible amount of freedom too for your team because it's it's something that we talk about when I'm talking with Travis about stuff for for our company is like you know there's that idea of you know how do we do this how do we do this or you hire someone you tell them here's how to do this but if you hire really qualified people they'll get to that point and they might do it in a way that's not prescribed by you know your exact method that you would do it but that's why you're hiring them anyway you're hiring them to find the solution to that problem. Well, yeah, and you know, it's it's so interesting you say that. Like one of the things we encourage in all the consulting and training we do, there's one thing when we're working with a sales leadership team around coaching, and it goes right to what you just said. If when you anytime you get a new hire, and in my company, the manager who hired the person, there's one conversation that must happen first. So Gina, my team, my VP just hired Josh this week. Mm-hmm. And the first conversation that's a must is Gina's going to have to have a conversation this week with, with Josh and say, look, how do you want to be led and how do you want to be managed? Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, Josh is going to have to come up with an answer at some level within three questions. Josh will come back and say, I don't want to be micromanaged. Mm-hmm. He's going to say that everybody <laughs> says that. Right. And so Gina then has to say to Josh, okay, would you agree at times it's going to feel like a micromanaging you or how would you define micromanaging? Hmm. Right. And then that conversation is going to lead to some kind of transparency with results. Right. But Josh is always going to say, I want to be micromanaged. Everybody does. And when you get a lot into the how, like you just described with Trav, right. You're you, if you don't trust that person to do the job, let them have, everybody has a signature, but everybody has their own signature. You hired for it, allow for that signature because nobody wants to be micromanaged. But you have to agree on a back and forth, transparent, mm-hmm. or authentic conversation. Right. Or else it's a really sweet deal for you if there's no transparency and you don't exactly. get managed. Yeah. Exactly. But, um, no, I know. I love that you said that. And it, it really is like it goes back to that idea of I think a lot of times, you know, I, I felt like this a lot at the, and it's the reason I only worked this job for two years was I, I was bringing in a ton of, a ton of value, like a ton. I wasn't getting paid nearly what I should be for the position I was in was bringing a lot of value. You know, they said like, Hey, this is the last raise you're getting for a while, which was when I mentally kind of was like time to start looking for something else. Yeah, that, That's always such you a know. good move too. Hey, we're not going to pay anymore for a while. Yeah. This is the last. So, but for me, like near the end, I was like, I'm busting my butt trying to keep building this, but then the CEO is getting a new car and doing this and taking this trip and, and for me, there was no incentive to move past that level. Like the better I got, I'm still confined to that hourly wage that I'm getting. And right. uh, I, I think having, again, basing on, on the results is a lot more important and a lot more valuable for everybody. Like 
it all it's all it's more valuable for the company too because you're not paying someone to just sit there the person sitting there twiddling their thumbs and texting for eight hours or 12 hours is making the same amount of money as your highest performer, which, which really doesn't make a lot of sense. A lot of, so many decision makers don't understand. They, they can tell you, they can tell you what absenteeism is in work when people don't show up, mm-hmm. but they can't tell you what presenteeism is. People hmm. that are at work, but not, not really checked in, that right. they're not engaging, that they check their door in, they check the, the brain at the door, check, check their brain in as soon as they turn zoom on, right? Like you right. got to, you got to know that it's well said, right? Because it's it's if you limit somebody's capacity, right, or you put walls around their performance and they feel they can't grow out of it, no, that's a challenge, and that's when they start. You know, mo and you know this most most people don't leave their job for more money; they leave for a better boss, right? Right. Most of the issues are is, is their boss. I mean, look in the mirror at the end of the day. I can only blame myself for bad glass door reviews. Yeah, right. it stops with me every time. Right. Yeah, people will hang into a pretty bad job for a great leader, and they'll hang into they'll they'll leave a great job because of a bad leader very easily. Well, yeah, and you know, most leaders don't even like. I was listening to Jocko Willing's podcast today, and they were talking about um how they're reading this old army book, right? And Jocko's like an ex SEAL, Navy SEAL. He was a you know he wrote he ran Task Force Bruiser, uh, which was a joint ops special forces and is in uh, Iraq and they were talking about how the military rewards people, right? And they were talking about these NAMs, which are naval achievement merits, right? Where you did something outstanding. It wasn't like in combat, but you did something that you're recognized for. Mm. And so it got me thinking this morning, like a lot of companies don't even know the difference between informal and formal recognition, Mm. right? And if you think about it, most, most managers try to coach on too many things or they come off very sincere when they're giving praise or recognition. I think Dale Carnegie said, give a few words of sincere appreciation to somebody who's lonely or discouraged. You may forget the words you say of the day, but the recipient probably will cherish them for a lifetime. And most, and most people, most leaders don't sit there and go, you know, you did a really nice job and here's why I said that. Or, or like you notice somebody doing a great job and go, tell me how you did that. Like yeah. that's that's the greatest thing ever. It's that little stuff that makes for a great leader and keeps people committed to the cause right. or committed to. And the other thing in America, what we don't realize, it's it's different in America. A lot of leaders don't understand in the U.S. American citizens or people live in America usually are going to put their brand before the company's brand. That's just how we roll. We have always rolled that way. And that's very American. You go to places in Southeast Asia, their business culture like Korea or Japan at times, they will live more for that company, right? They'll put that in front of them. And Americans don't understand. Sometimes Americans forget, like, you got to build that person's personal brand. They got to see that their job and career can grow. If not, you're going to suffocate them. Right. Absolutely. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% 
of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need hire, you need Indeed. Well, I, I definitely want to want to dive in the networking conversation, but I know you have a new book that's coming out uh, very soon as to when this episode releases. Uh, can you share a little bit about that? Like kind of what inspired you writing it and maybe one or two of the big takeaways that kind of prompt you? Because I know every every book starts with like one core idea that you really want people to grasp. We kind of had an evolution to it. Um, and we went through this kind of, you know, I've written a couple books. I have a book called uh, Sales is an Away Game. Um, I wrote another book on Igniting Sales EQ. And this next book, we start to really look at this year and really what, what was it coming down to? And you have all this AI, you have all this data out there, but in a lot of businesses, none of that mattered this year. It was really that personal connection, that human to human. And we started to write, I started to put something out on prospecting because we do a lot of commentary, a lot of consulting on how to get in the door. And then we kept coming back to this concept of human to human sales. So the book's called Human to Human Selling. It's actually the human to human equation to persuade, influence, and close the deal. And that factor, it's, think about it this way. I mean, you're, you're human to human if you're in, you know, sitting in the cheap seats on the plane and you got some extra points to sell that attendant, maybe to get up in first class or that next level. That's human to, the human to human connection. You're returning something to Best Buy. There's that human to human connection. There's that, you know, think about this. There's a study that was done on servers and it was out of Sweden and how powerful persuasion human to human can be. So if you actually showed up and say, say you were at a deli and I was the server and you said, look, I'd like a, tur- uh, a turkey sandwich on wheat, lettuce, tomato, two slices of bacon, cut diagonally, a pickle spear and salt and vinegar chips and say that was a number two on the menu. And I say, oh, if I was a server, I said, got it. Or I said, oh, you want a number two. But if I want to step further and connect it with you, a human, I'd say, oh, so you want a turkey sandwich on wheat, lettuce, tomato, two slices of bacon, pickle spear and some chips. That's what you want. I'd increase my tip by 70% by tailoring it human to human. So we start to look at that persuasion and things like that. And there is that factor, whether you're selling a movie script, whether you're trying to negotiate a big branding deal, right? Or you're trying to sell your IP to some venture capital to invest in your company. It's a, you know, watch Shark Tank. What do they usually buy? 
they buy the person, they don't buy the idea. It's not the idea, it's the person, the belief in that. So that's kind of the impetus of that. And we saw that more this year than we ever saw before. Yeah, how's that How's that affected selling? Because you mentioned human to human connection. You know, you gave some examples of people that are saying, hey, I wouldn't want to do this unless we're over the phone or, or unless we're in person. You know, how do you maintain that human connection? Because it is like, even even doing interviews, you know, like it, sometimes it feels difficult reaching through the separation of the of the monitor and going, you know, hey, let's let's build a real connection. Uh, what do you think are some of the the best keys to building that without having to be in person or shaking their hand or putting your arm on their shoulder? You know, such trying to great, build it. No, it's such a great question. It's kind of like we talked about earlier, right? Somebody said, yeah, when things get back to normal, well, welcome to normal. Yeah, this right. is the new business reality, and. Am I saying that we're not going to be in front of people? No, you might be in this hybrid mode. You might be on this. You may, I talked on the phone the other day, like a real phone call with somebody. I was like, this is weird, right? I like, can't see you. <laughs> I can't see you, right? Or like um, Clubhouse. Right. Like, it's kind of weird a little bit. Like right? we think about it because that's just audio. That's like listening to like an old chat line, like mm-hmm. on a phone, right? So I think I think it's it's really about the little things. My, my dad, I used to remember my dad always saying, He'd probably be proud of me that I quote him. Um, he said, if you take care of the little things, the big things take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like little things. We coach a lot on, um, say you're on a first call with a picture doing and you're on you're on camera, the other person's not. You might have to say, hey, you know, this is the first time we're meeting. Can we all just get a couple camera right here? Mm-hmm. You might have to have the awkward ask, but it's those little things. It would also be as much as like, I had to coach my leadership team the other day because we were kind of starting this new model. And I said, listen, let's get some etiquette down here. We're all on Zoom calls all the time. Let's all look like we're in the camera. We're looking at each other a little bit. We don't ask you to be on these things a ton. And one of my leaders said, I'm writing things down on the other screen. I go, it's fine. Look at the camera and say hi to everybody. Stop and Mm -hmm. say hi for a second. Smile. It's going to be about those little things. It, it, It will be harder. Because you could be watching reruns of The Office right now, for all I know. Hmm. I don't know that you're really looking at it. It's Parks and Rec, but yeah. (laughs) I love it. it. But yeah, no, so so I think it's about those little things. And it's kind of that pound the rock theory, right? Where, you know, the stone cutter goes to the rock, pounds it, you know, a a hundred times. And on the the hundredth one blow, it broke. And, you know, it wasn't that one blow. It was the hundred times before that that they had it. So I think you got to kind of pound the rock a little bit. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's super, super valuable. What's, as you've been coaching, what's been the biggest mistake you've seen people make as they've been trying to, trying to go about this, this process in this kind of new normal? Uh, obviously, there's some good practices, like obviously having your camera on is a good, is a good first step. But what are some of the mistakes you're seeing people make uh, trying to communicate right now? Well, I think the biggest one, it's kind of, it's, it's not recognizing Zoom fatigue. Hmm. So chances are, like, it's kind of like you and I setting this up. I was running a few minutes late. Like, my, all of a sudden, my schedule has gone into three time zones yeah. almost every day. And I'm stacked. Me And, like, I have to say to my EA, I'm like, yo, like, I, you can't back to back and back me again. Just because there's an open slot, I know it's easy to do to accommodate. So I think if you take that and you take Zoom fatigue into, into consideration – I see a lot of like people spend time, a ton of small talk time with pleasantries, not yeah. recognizing that you're probably running behind as, and, and kind of getting into like a, a question bearing on time, like a cue bot, like, hey, how much time do you have today? Right. That etiquette has to be little things like that. That's the stuff that's overlooked. But it goes back to what I said before. It's all those little tiny nuances dotting the I's and crossing the T's that really matter right now. 
Yeah, no, it is so it is so true, especially when you're jumping into all these. I'm in Zoom calls all day long doing I'm doing interviews for my show, I'm doing interviews for this show, I'm doing right. I'm doing coaching calls, I'm doing group calls. And it is even little things like so many people go through the same routine of questions. And it's like I just did this with 30 other people, you know, and so trying to be able to move into that, you know, I always talk about it with my coaching clients, I always talk about like start your conversation where a lot of conversations end, like try to get into like an actual conversation right away right. instead of right. that small talk, you know, kind of phase. This has been really helpful. I'm, I want to definitely gear the conversation into networking a bit. I'm curious if your answers changed at all from the last time, but I don't think it has. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? I believe it's really who wants to know you. Hmm. <laughs> no, and, and you know what I mean? I, I think it's... Um, it's, it's kind of interesting, right? And, and I, don't, I don't think it's changed. I think it's a deep question. I think a lot of people look for, especially when it relates to networking, they're looking for the fast move. So I had a, I've had a few people reach out, reach out to me recently and say, hey, I see you're connected with so-and-so on LinkedIn. I'm connected with thousands of people yeah. on LinkedIn. I don't even know why. Like, I'm probably know. connected with them. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. I mean, we're like six degrees in between you and I. And I think, number one, it's hard to network, but people drop a lot of names. Hmm. Yeah. Right? I'm seeing that a ton. Like Especially if you, on Clubhouse. I was going to say that. You would think the love fest that goes on, <laughs> that and, and the name drop, and you're just like, and, and it's almost now unbelievable. It's kind of, you know, it's a little bit like that social proof when you watch some of this marketing funnel, you get this like 18-year-old standing in front of a Lamborghini that talks about he, he built nine seven-figure businesses by the time he was 14 years old. I'm like, whatever, like really bull, right? And, but, but the point is like, I, I think, I think do you truly know somebody? So like when you're networking, like you kind of test that by, I was coaching a salesperson the other day. He said, well, I got referred by so-and-so. I go, did you have to say it? Did you have to say so-and-so referred? And they said, yeah, this is with, actually it was yesterday with the LA Clippers with one of their salespeople that, that are selling kind of new state in. I said, why didn't you ask the CFO to write you a note to the VP of sales and leverage the network that way? She goes, I was uncomfortable. I said, then did you really have a relationship with that person? Oh. Or did you think you think you did? So I think it's, I think it's a deep concept. I think people throw a lot of words around, but there is a, the mantra we kind of live by at Tyson group is it's not who, you know, it's who actually wants to know you. Yeah, that's who really wants to know you. That's the exact question I wanted to ask. And it's funny because that's one of the reasons me and Travis have ranted about Clubhouse on here plenty. And it, everybody's a nine-figure entrepreneur that's worked with every top name you can imagine. And you know they may have met them at an event or they may have gotten a LinkedIn message one time. But when you dig in, there's not a real relationship there. And the scary thing is I think a lot of people think they do have that relationship or that connection. Like I, I think some are straight up just you know, blowing smoke, but there's a lot, I think, that feel that they're more connected than they are. So you you kind of mentioned, you know, being uncomfortable, recognizing that that's just, you know, maybe you don't have the relationship you thought you did, or maybe you don't have the connection you thought you did. What are some ways to audit whether or not you have a real relationship with somebody that you can use in, in business and in life versus, you know, an acquaintance that was kind to you? Like what, how do you determine what's a relationship versus what's a connection? Yeah, you know, and I, I'm probably not going to get when people hear my answer, they're probably going to get frustrated with me. So I'm, I'm going to and I'm going to answer it this way. So first off, 
we work on a lot of sales methodologies and every salesperson or business person, everybody says it's all about the relationships. It, it is the most cliche thing you ever have. And your question was, how do you know you have the relationship? Yeah. And I think what you just said, there's a lot of people that confuse somebody's really good human relations as being that that, that person likes you. Hmm. And I'll say it again. A lot of us confuse somebody who has really good people skills with somebody really liking us. So like in our sales, if you, if you read my, if you read this book right over my shoulder right here, so like there it is, selling is an away game because it happens in the mind of the buyer. If you read that book, I explicitly say in that book, sales or selling is not about relationships at all. Mm. And in some cases, the word relationships is a dirty word. Those yeah. two people had relations, right? <laughs> like, right. So, so, so the word we choose is we choose the word rapport because I can drive through the Wendy's drive through window and have rapport with somebody. I can have rapport with a Starbucks barista in less than 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. But I think the second thing that tests that relationship is credibility. See, rapport yields persuasion. Hmm. Credibility yields trust. So like you and I dog in the, the, the um, clubhouse, it's easy to dog because you get like 15 yeah. people and, and they're literally dropping names and everybody has 10 some bigger companies. You would think there's no unemployment in the world, right? Like, geez, really? There's so much wealth. And, or maybe I'm doing it wrong, but at the end of the day, credibility yields trust. And credibility, it doesn't just come from a likability factor, right? It comes from a, maybe at times being ag an agitator. Mm. Daniel, Daniel Pink talks in his book, Sell to Sell is Human. Maybe, you, maybe you're an agitator. Maybe you're a challenger. But maybe that challenging causes enough credibility. It says, I got to lift. I got to listen to that person, kind of speed to trust, and then speaking from a level of understanding. So if you took that triangle, rapport, credibility, and understanding, that usually is the baseline of relationship. Now, the word relationship is an outcome. Hmm. It's not, I can build rapport, I can establish credibility, I can demonstrate understanding, but I can't do relationship. It's hmm. an outcome. So hmm. like today, I talked to somebody that I haven't talked to in about 10 years, and he was the former president of Scott's, um, you know, Scott's Lawn, like the mm -hmm. lawn, you know, the seed and fertilizer place, Scott's. And I was talking about potentially to him about being on my board. And I texted him and I said, hey, I have an idea for you. Can you, and I said, this is, can you give me a call back? Now I used an attention getter and it was a, it was a mystery opening. So I got him over preoccupation. He called me back. We talked for 27 minutes and he's considering it. And I'm honored. I would say I had a relationship with that guy. Hmm. I, I didn't know, though, going in how strong that relationship was. So I think you got to test things at times, but don't confuse good people skills with somebody actually liking you. It's yeah. Different. Yeah. That's you know? super, super important. And it's, it's, I think too, you've also like really spoken to the idea of patience too. Like it's not this, people do want that shortcut. I, I get it. You know, I've had it with guests I've had on the show. Like people are like, Hey, can you connect me with them? I'm like, I don't know them well enough. Like I interviewed them. I don't know right, them well right, enough. Right. And, and vice versa. Like there's been guests that, you know, Travis had on before I was even connected with Build Your Network. Where I'm like, Oh, I'd love to talk to them. He's like, I can let them know like my endorsement, but 
I can't just give you a cell phone number and like hit them up. And I, I think one of the big indicators that you kind of hinted at is like, if you're nervous to ask them for something like a written endorsement, or if you're nervous to ask a favor, they're probably not your friend, <laughs> you know, like, exactly like if, if right. exactly right. So yeah, it's a, it's probably a good indicator if you're, uh, if you're worried about it and you're worried that it's that fragile, they're probably not a close, close relationship. It's a, uh, great, it's a great lead indicator. You know, the other thing that's interesting too, with, with favors that you, that you mentioned that there's a study done. I, I'm trying to think like when you do somebody a favor, when you re-ask them for reciprocation, don't save the favor for far in the future because the, their memory of the favor you did for them in the future is less valuable than if you asked for it right away. Right. So if so, it's more valuable. So if I if you if I did you a favor, I I should ask you to reciprocate the favor sooner than later because if I asked you later, you'll forget how valuable the favor was in the future. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, and and that's kind of a again, that's a mark of a good relationship too. Is yes, like, yes. Um, you know, if you if you go out with somebody and you pay for lunch one time, they pay for lunch the next time, and vice versa. At a certain point, you don't even think about it. It's just like whoever grabs it grabs it, and I know that that person has my back. You know, next time we go somewhere, it's really valuable. Um, I I want to wrap us up because I want to be respectful of your time because I'm sure you have another Zoom call just. <laughs> right up the right at the end of this one. Probably so, right. Yeah. No, so no. Uh, just really quick, we're gonna do our quick random round. See if any of your answers have changed from last time. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? I think I said this when trying to show. I like naming stuff. Hmm. I'm totally in the name. So so if I could work for OPI nail polish and name nail polishes or name ships, I would be very into that. <laughs> Right. It's like my wife came in one time and she had this like dark vamp color on. I go, what color is that? She goes, that's Midnight in Moscow. I go, that would be such a cool creative job. Right. Just to name stuff. So like I've landed on that. So. Okay. Awesome. If you could sit on a park bench with anybody past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? I think right now, and I may have said this before, but I, I kind of, I behind me, I have two collectibles. I have a, And there's a lot of, one is from P.T. Barnum and one is from Andrew Carnegie. And they're actually signed letters. One one letter behind me in this frame, Andrew Carnegie was selling steel to the Panama Canal. It's Mm -hmm. literally the letter. And over here is a letter from P.T. Barnum. And you probably guys can't say it, but it was, he said, I'm so old. It was somebody came to his door and said, asked him to speak. He goes, I'm too old to do any kind of public speaking right now. And I thought that spoke to me. I think I'd be really interested now in talking to Barnum. And I'm trying to think what I what I answered before, but I've been asked this question several times. I love to sit next to P.T. Barnum, and here's why. That guy failed so many times. His businesses were failing when he was 70. Hmm. Fires, pandemics, lived through a ton of stuff. I think it'd be interesting to talk to him about now and business and how we do, he would approach this pandemic and how he would have made something out of what's going on. So I think I, I picked PT Barnum right now. Awesome. Awesome. What's your morning routine look like? Oh, I, I'm so glad you asked. In, inside COVID, I, I've never had, I, I've been the guy through my whole life that I don't even brush my teeth in the same order. But inside this pandemic, I get up at six o'clock and I meditate. And I run my meditation as gratefulness. I run a light through my body. Imagine a light. I go over my perfect day. I say a couple mantras and I say a prayer. Then from there, I hop on the Peloton or I walk. And four times, 
four times a week, I'll work out and do the Peloton because I want to move quick. Mm -hmm. And then I will sit down and I'll do a um, what's called a Pomodoro. And a Pomodoro yeah. is a 25-minute focus in one area, just journaling and writing out my day. And I'm so glad you asked. You can see the left mm -hmm. there. It says journal, meditate, workout, plan. And I check them off every day and put everything on this card. That's my morning plan on this card, says Tyson Group. I've been doing every day. I've never been in a better, better mental state. I started last April hmm. and I've done it. On, there's very few days I haven't done it, but I, I feel really good about that routine. And I can do it on the road too. It's something yeah. I can do like, if I'm on the road. Yeah, the Pomodoro technique is really cool. Um, and especially when you've got, when I, whatever I, it's something I should do consistently, but it's something that when I feel like I'm overwhelmed and I feel like I'm drowning in stuff, I always go back to it. There's an app for your MacBook that you can do where yep. it sets the timers. And like, if I have to catch up on designs or writing or that, like, it's super easy to basically for anyone listening, you just set it for 25 minutes and then you, you work on nothing but that but you take that. a five minute break. Yeah. And it's crazy how productive you can get in two or three hours for, you know, when it's, when it's opposed to something that would usually take you, you know, all day long. Have you ever counted how many Pomodoro's you ever been in a day? Like when you did them? When I would do it on the app, it, it would, you can set it. So like I would do like five or six and then gap and then, you know, do the 25 minute break in between. But I don't know what the max I've ever done is. No, like I, I those days that I do five or six of them, even like if I take a bigger break, I usually think they're the best days. Yeah, like they're always the best days. But I, I need to do I do one every morning just on my journal and plan. No. And I'm hell bent. Like I have I have journals back from 1996, just like in most wow. like this. So yeah. You can say I do it every day. Like, but I'm glad you asked. I I really got into that this year. That's awesome. That's awesome. What's your what's your go-to pump-up song? It's Black Sheep. The choice is yours. Hmm. Gotcha. Right. And it's liter it's it's a little old school rap, like let's say 93, 94. It's by Black Sheep. The choice it's definitely the choice is yours. If I had a song to play for my online sales training class, it would open no, be a, in my walk awesome. What are you not very good at? I'm I'm not good at um telling people they uh, given a lot of praise. I'm no. not, I'm just, I'm not good at it. I have to think about it. I'm consciously incompetent with it to consciously competent with it. I have to think about it before I do it gotcha. because I'm just, I, I lit, I learned something from Dale. I was in Dale Carnegie training for years and Dale Carnegie wrote a book on worry. I think it's one of the best books ever written on stress and worry. It's called how to stop worrying and start living. And he says in his book, he says, expecting gratitude. And I have lived my life not worrying whether somebody was going to say thank you. When I mm -hmm. get it, I feel really good. But I think that's also affected me since I don't really seek it. And I, I really don't. Sometimes I forget to give it, mm -hmm. whether it be my kids, my wife, my employees. So and, I, and then when I do it, I have to think about it and say, okay, I need to focus on one thing and give a piece of evidence to it. So I really... I'm deliberate when I do it, but I'm not good at it. I'm rating myself not good at it because I don't do it as often as it needs to be done. Right. And I'm not a heart and flower guy. So like you probably got that from the interview. I'm not like a hug guy. <laughs> right, right. So you have to be intentional about yeah, just no verbalizing doubt. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, the last question here, I know you mentioned your book, which we'll definitely have a link to in the show notes, but if someone wants to connect with you online, what's the best place to do so? If you literally inbox me on LinkedIn or hit me up on Twitter, um, I'm usually, somebody will get to you pretty quick. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lance, for jumping on. I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. 
Thanks, man. Appreciate you. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.